are you drinking today, Amanda? Well, I am drinking Svetka Cucumber Lime Vodka with 7-Up. Well, that sounds delicious. It's pretty good. Refreshing, just like last week. What are you drinking today, Amber? I am actually drinking Smirnoff Watermelon Vodka this week with a Watermelon Red Bull. That sounds... Watermelon in me? (laughs) Energizing. (laughs) Welcome to this week's episode of Veterans Drinking Vodka. We believe that every veteran has a story to tell and we are here to tell it. We have found that being a service member can be easy, but being a veteran can be very hard. In this episode, we are talking to Eric Weaver. What's up, everybody? Hey, Eric. Howdy. He served in the United States Army from 1997 to 2004, and then the National Guard from 2008 to 2016 as a medic. How are you today, Eric? I am fantastic. How are y'all doing today? Wonderful. We're happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Y'all are doing an excellent job with this podcast. I'm just tickled pink to, to be a part of it. Thank you. And what are you drinking today? I am just going real plain and simple with my uh, Tito's Vodka, the affordable choice, and uh, Diet Dr. Pepper because you can't find Coke Zero anywhere right now. I don't know if I've ever mixed a cola with a vodka. Well, I'm a hillbilly, so that's kind of what I do. It's uh, <laughs> liquor and then cola, so it doesn't really matter what the liquor is. <laughs> it all works. Yeah. Awesome. So tell us how your journey started and where you were from. Oh, boy. Okay. So for me, my dad was in the military for most of my childhood. So I was a military brat. Uh, he's an old, crusty Air Force Master Sergeant is what he is. Cheers um, to the military was, brat. Yeah, let's go for it. Give a, give a drink for that. Um, when I was uh, kind of starting my high school years, my dad retired and we moved back here to Texas. As far as where I'm from, I kind of grew up all over the place. I, I'm a, My roots are here. Uh, so that's this is just where where I've always considered home. I was 21 and married when I joined the military, and it was a situation where my wife and I were both kind of working dead end jobs and living in Canton, Texas at the time. Which, if you've ever been to Canton, it's kind of cool one week in a month and then a complete dead zone the rest of the time. I mean, I've um, been to the VFW yeah. there. I, you know, they've actually got some pretty decent patriotic citizenship out there in Canton. Like, there's a lot of people that are very supportive out there, which is really cool. Yeah, the VFW was nice. Yeah. But uh, we were living out there, and I come home from uh, buying groceries one day and checked the mail at, at my father-in-law's house because we were living with them. And it was just a little flyer that said, hey, be all you can be. And I was like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll do that. <laughs> and I, I never... As a kid growing up, I never thought I'm going to be in the military. It wasn't a big thing, but it was just like, well, that, there's something to do, <laughs> you know, just get me out of Canton. And so I spent a week kind of fighting in my own head thinking, am I going to join the Air Force like my dad or be a real man and join the Army, you know? <laughs> and uh, I literally I literally made that decision walking up to the recruiter door. You know how most recruiters, it's multiple service recruiters. And I was like, Air Force, Army, Air Force, Army, Air Force, and walked in the Army door just at the last second. And that's how I decided to join the Army. <laughs> Your gut instinct must have pulled you that direction. Oh, I don't know. I think I just had a little shorter in that leg. I <laughs> 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 walked, walked that direction. Uh, so, yeah, joined the Army, spent um, 
boy, just crazy. The first chunk of time that I was in the army, basic training was, you know, a whirlwind. It was, I thought it was fun to be honest with you. I know it was tough. It was hard, but I had a blast, did lots and lots of push-ups because that's just what you do. Turns out with my mouth, that was my career. I did lots and lots of push-ups anyways, but, uh, basic training and then went to my AIT down in San Antonio and immediately deployed when I got to my first duty station. Oh, wow. Why did you decide to go into the medical field? Uh, Well, honestly, my thought when I went to the recruiter, they're like, well, what job would you want? And I I said, well, I either want to be an MP or a a medic because those are the kind of the high visibility guys you always see in the movies. You know, you always see the MPs (laughs) and all the drunk soldiers. And then you always hear, you you always hear that hero thing. Hey, medic. And I was like, I will do one of those. Uh, So there was no... No real reason why. Military in the movies. That's yeah, why I got my job. Mine was Top Gun. Oh yeah, that'll do it for you. <laughs> yeah, I totally <laughs> accidentally signed up for the wrong rate, but it was the best accidental. It, it working? That's cool. It, it worked in my favor <laughs> for sure. That's very cool. When I, uh, I, I yeah, I honestly I'm glad I didn't become a uh, an MP because I was always friends with MPs. And every one of them hated that job. I'm glad I didn't become an MP just because I, I, I hung out with a lot of MPs. I was always friends with a lot of those guys as a way to get away with all kinds of rotten things when I was in the military. But I became a medic and loved every second of it. I actually spent a lot of time even on once I got out as an EMT working working on ambulances and in hospitals. So it was the right choice for me, even though I didn't realize it at the time. It's crazy how that sometimes works out yeah so eric i know you started talking a little bit about boot camp and coming coming to texas and then immediately going on deployment what was your favorite duty station uh that's a very very easy question for me to answer because i was stationed in vicenza italy for three years and you just can't be living in italy (laughs) here's to italy here's Here's to italy for sure the um the the fantastic about besides just living in Europe, uh, my son was born over there. My uh, oh, I've made tons of friends that I still talk to that are just you know my European buddies that weren't even in the military. I, I told my wife that when we moved over there, I had two rules that I was going to adhere to. One of them was I would not come back to the states on leave while we were stationed over there because I was going to take advantage of living in Europe. And uh, the second rule was I was not going to do any of that uh, touristy crap and go see all the blah, blah, blah. You know, like we did we live close to Venice. I lived there for a year before I went to Venice because like, ah, it's too touristy. Turns out some places are really touristy because they're freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Venice was a great place to go and drink vodka, actually. <laughs> well, I can't think of cheers, a place where it's Venice not fun to drink vodka. Cheers to <laughs> vodka. Cheers to vodka. 100%. So, but yeah, that was that was the best. That was my favorite duty station. And honestly, I was I was stationed in uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia, which was awful because we were rapid deployment. And I spent of the three years, three and a half years there, I spent maybe a year and a half of it at home because I was either deployed or in the field training or attached to other units on their training or their deployments. And it was just a big old pain in the ass. And then when I got to Italy, I actually got assigned to a clinic that was non-deployable. So I was home every weekend, home in the evenings. <laughs> it was like just a regular nine to five job for the most part, uh, other than, you know, the occasional extra duty or guard duty or whatever. 
in Italy, did you work in a hospital? Yeah, well, so we didn't have a full hospital. We just, on the base that I was at, it's a small base uh, called Caserma Ederle in Vicenza. And the only thing we had at the time was a clinic. When I left, they ended up building uh, an American hospital, actually over by the airport. But when we were there, if you needed anything other than clinical um, services that we could provide, like emergency room services or birthing unit services, you either had to go to the Air Force Base, which was two hours away, or to the local hospital, which was uh, an adventure. Because even though most Italians speak English, they refuse to <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, but we actually, I actually got to work as part of the uh, liaison program we had. We actually had, I think there were eight or nine locals that spoke really, really good English that worked for us. So if an American ended up in the hospital, they would go and uh, assist the American so that they wouldn't, you know, it's confusing if you're, if you're in a hospital where nothing is written in English yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just a, a very confusing situation to be in. So we had a really good program to keep people from having to deal with the extra hassles. That's nice That's that fun. that was available. Yeah, it was, it was a really cool thing to have. And it was, it was fun to be a part mm -hmm. of because again, just being involved in that, I, a lot of my friends that I had over there were just, you know, the locals instead of, always hanging out with other Americans. I bet they knew all the best places to go to. Oh, yes, <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. You always want to go where the locals go and not where the tourists go. That is the truth. And you learn, you learn all the little tricks that you just wouldn't regularly know, uh, you know, things to look out for and, and learn to just kind of navigate your way around a foreign country. And it, it really doesn't take long if you, if you integrate yourself with people like that it's pretty quick to kind of learn how to, I mean, everybody's going to know you're an American. Um, and especially the time when I was there, it was kind of rough because I got there in August of 2001. And then a month later, the world kind of went chaotic. <laughs> kind of. So it, yeah. So it was, it was a little tough actually being an American in even just Europe at the time for probably about six months. But I mean, you just learn to deal with it and just, you know, like they always say, yeah, don't be complacent and keep your head up at all times. But Do you have an active duty story? We call them sea stories. I don't do you guys have a name for them? Like an active duty story. Uh, well, I mean, I we would just call it a story. I I've been listening to your all's uh, podcast and it's fantastic and what I, what I would probably call a sea story, um I guess just a deployment story <laughs> is where is kind of what I was thinking of what I'd like to tell. So my, so do you my, have a deployment story to share with us today? Yeah, deployment story. So my first deployment, again, uh, like I said earlier, I went basic training, then I went to my medic school, and then when I got to my first unit, they basically said, don't unpack your bags, your unit's not here. So I, I immediately deployed to Kuwait in 1998, and you know, I was just some young, dumb idiot that didn't know my elbow from my asshole and find myself in Kuwait. But oh, did my, they have good food in Kuwait when you were there? Because when I was there, they had really good food. Oh, uh, well, when I was in Kuwait, I lived in a tent and ate MREs and sea rats all the time. So, no, not good food in Kuwait where, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> I I lived in a tent, but I ate at a galley. I don't know exactly what base I was on. We were just transient, and they messed up our customs, so we were there for, like, a week. But Oh, that's cool. We stayed in a tent, and we ate in the galley, and they, man, they cooked. It was crazy. We had a mess hall tent, but 90% of the time it was just your standard prepackaged military 
tins of food that they heated up and slopped onto a tray for you. Every once in a while, we would have contractors come in and cook us a meal, but I rarely got to really participate in that because the uh, I wasn't on a base. We were in a cabal, so you walked everywhere on sand and everything was tense. And our the where the chow hall was was probably three quarters of a mile from where they kept all of us medical folks. Oh, so wow. half the time I would, I just wouldn't even go over there. I would just eat a MRE or if you if you got lucky, you'd get a chance to drive the you know, 45 minutes to uh, Camp Doha and go to the BX and buy, you know, junk food. Well, cheers to the MRE. Yeah, I bought the MRE, man. It got me through a lot I of things. Want to cheers. I didn't want to cheers an MRE. I, I thought that was wrong. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's parts, like you can piece together an MRE for a decent meal. You just got to be the best barterer. Okay, Amanda, you are absolutely right. I was the king of, of just bartering with everybody and coming up with the, the stuff that I liked. I used to make an amazing peach cobbler out of the uh, bag of peaches <laughs> and the pound cake, and you heated it up, put it all together. It was awesome. Yeah, MREs are not bad if you can swindle someone out of their good stuff and you can get a little creative. And have uh, hot that, sauce. Yeah, lots and lots of hot sauce. But sometimes, and this is, this is probably a typical moronic kind of uh, – infantry mindset usually we would use the hot sauce um we would just open it up and dump it in the water throw the heater in there and then throw it in people's tents when they were sleeping and make you know tear gas bombs (laughs) oh my god (laughs) so there's a reason i didn't make a whole lot of rank in the military and that's one of them (laughs) minor details minor all right so back to the story so so back to my story so when i when i deployed i actually Uh, My whole unit was already there, and there was just a small group of us deployed. So my first deployment, I took a civilian flight. They flew us from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, up to Delaware, from Delaware to – I don't even remember where at in Germany, and from Germany to Kuwait City, and then bust us out to where we were going. And my first night in the desert, when I got there, everybody was already bunked down. I had some corporal say, hey, this is your tent. Find an empty cot. I walk in the tent. And I'm just completely confused. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I have no idea how to handle myself. 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, it's still 90 degrees outside. So I'm laying in this cot and I can't sleep. I'm jet lagged. I don't know what's going on. And I hear what sounds like a crab walking. We'd put some plywood floors in these tents. So I hear what sounds like a crab walking across the floor. I grab my little military flashlight and I shine it over to where this crab noise is coming from. And I see this creature that looks like the alien face hugger from aliens, but it's got oh claws God. and eight legs. And I, w- I literally absolutely went, Oh yeah, I'm just hot and tired and hallucinating. I didn't, I didn't believe it was real. So I just laid back down, finally get to sleep, wake up the next morning. And the guy sitting next to me, still a good friend of mine, Sergeant Willie Ray. He introduces himself. Hey, I'm like, hey, you're the new guy. I'm Sergeant Ray. How you doing? Oh, good. I'm Weaver. And he says, how was your night last night? And I just go, man, this weird hallucination that this crazy crab creature was over. And he just goes, it's in here. A grown man jumps into his cot. And I was like, that, that's real? What the hell is that? My first experience meeting a camel spider, apparently. <laughs> I'm just walking around our tent in the middle of the night. <laughs> I do not. Do not cheers I, I, that. At least it got him. <laughs> Look, he's ready. Okay, wait. No, yeah, cheers to the camel. No, cheers to surviving the camel spider. Okay, we'll cheers that. Oh, there we go. We can do that. 
And cheers to thinking it was a hallucination. So you still got a good. <laughs> yes. Cheers to thinking it was a hallucination. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go, you know, yeah, we'll go with that. But when you saw that thing for the first time, there was no way that your brain could comprehend that it was a real animal. I mean, it just, you looked just crazy. I've never seen one, but I heard that hey. wild. When you were over there, did you ever see a chicken? A chicken? No, I never saw a chicken. I saw tons of, uh, that desert was so full of animals that it was ridiculous. Because, you know, you think of the desert as just being a vast wasteland for the most part. And especially the, the type of desert you're in. Because we were about eight miles from the Iraq border, just as a show of force. And everything just looked like a big sand dune, no matter where you looked. But there were lizards and rats the size of house cats. And probably my third night there, somebody found a snake and freaked out. And I went and killed the snake because I grew up killing snakes. I mean, that's what you do. You find a snake, you kill it. And I'm not not really scared of them. So I, uh, in typical military fashion, had to sign a hand receipt for a gardening hoe. And that was my job pretty much the entire time I was in Kuwait was to go take care of snakes for everybody. <laughs> if I wasn't patching people up, I was killing snakes or just chunking them over the sand wall. Sometimes I'd pick them up and just throw them over our sand wall. Were they poisonous? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, some of them were just, uh, I would assume, probably weren't from looking at them. But we had horn vipers. the appropriate term is venomous before Lord Warriors, like, attack me for that. The venomous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's the the rule? If you you bite it and it kills you, it's poisonous. But if it bites you and kills you, then it's venomous. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good rule. I actually haven't heard that before. So yeah, that we had we had some horn vipers that were um, apparently pretty venomous, but I mean we never had anybody get uh, snake bit while we were over there. Did you? Have Maybe because I was so good at my job. Did you have <laughs> venom on hand? Uh, yeah, yeah, we had we had access to it in our uh, treatment facility. Our, I say facility, our treatment tent. Right, because everything's tents over there. Mm-hmm. So I actually didn't tell Amber about this, but. I know a little secret that you are excellent on a guitar. So I don't know if excellence the right word, but I'm a definite enthusiast. Yes. So do you have a little song that you could play for us? Oh, uh, I can make something up if you'd like. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go with a little blues, maybe. Tastes so nice and add that vodka. Cause we're veterans drinking vodka. Gonna take your cup and pass it around. We're the veterans messing up your hometown. always messing around with music yes yes he's come up with a few ditties that i have heard over the years that are are pretty impressive <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure i sang a song about you once that was highly inappropriate <laughs> oh yeah no there's been a few highly inappropriate songs written about me probably For sure <laughs> i'm sure there's a couple about me too i just don't know about them or who sang them <laughs> <laughs> no these are definitely about me <laughs> 
<laughs> Usually written in his backyard. <laughs> all right. Yep, so we that's can talk true. About, um, we can talk about all the fun we had and like the craziness and all the good times we had on active duty, but eventually we all have to get out of the service. Can you talk a little bit about what your experience was transitioning from military life to uh, no longer having the military in your life? Sure. Um, it was probably a lot more difficult than it needed to be. And I think that's an issue that a lot of veterans run into. Um, I'm your typical stubborn moron. And I didn't uh, really pay attention when they said, hey, here's your avenues for help or how you can you know, go about this a little more easily. I just got out and went home. Uh, never thought about it. As a matter of fact, I was out of the army for four years and then joined the national guard and got out of the national guard and still didn't do anything until recently. I decided to start pursuing, you know, VA benefits. And very recently I just joined the, my local chapter of the uh, American Legion so I, th I think the, the main thing that I would really like to encourage people that are getting out of the military or have been out for a while is to seek the assistance that's available because there really is a lot of stuff out there. You just have to look for it. You got out and then you went home without a plan. Yes. And then you hung out for a couple of years. And at that point, you had a wife and a child. Yes. And so you had no idea what you were going to do or how you were going to support your lifestyle. So then you joined the guard and then you did that and then you got out again and then you still had no plan. Still had no plan. Pretty much. I had at one point started using my GI bill for some art classes cause I'm, I'm a very creative kind of a person and then moved on to other things. And I've just now recently decided to actually start taking myself seriously and pursuing some things that interest me that could actually turn into a long-term career choice. But I, and I really think there's probably a lot of people out there that are a lot like me that don't necessarily think they need a plan. And sometimes you can get yourself in a bind that way. I mean, I really think it's a good idea to at least reach out to, uh, you know, the, the avenues of, of assistance that are available to us so between the VA um, the VFW, the American Legion, other veterans that are local in your community. There's there's actually a lot of assistance out there and a lot of uh, resources that I'm j myself I'm just now getting around to tapping into, and and it's been has been fantastic. Fortunately for me, my transitions were always smooth because I do have a badass wife who's always been there for me, and you know even in, in those times when I feel like you know, there's things that happened when I was in the military that I don't want to talk to anybody about. You know, she's, she's been, she's been solid. And I'm like, look, maybe you don't want to say it right now, but I'm here for you. And so I think a lot of people don't necessarily have that up front. So I, I've never had to kind of fight myself as much as I could have. Right. You had that support system that kind of helped oh, get through. Definitely, definitely had that support system. And she was actually she was probably more mad about me getting out of the military initially than anything else. But, you know, she always supported me, but she still she's kind like, of it, coming me. home. <laughs> That's messed up. <laughs> that happens a lot like that. You know, people learn to live apart for so long and make their relationship work that when you have that reintegration, it it's really hard. 
that that is that is definitely true, and uh, I know a lot of people that have had to deal with that. Especially, you know, military people do tend to be a little more uh, Type A, and and a little more upfront and aggressive. And then when you come home, and your spouse and children have learned to take care of things without you, and you have to make that adjustment coming back and and allowing them to be in charge of things when maybe that's not what you regularly want. So yeah, that's definitely a problem for a lot of veterans that that, that they need assistance with and there's resources out there to get through that there's counseling out there for that sort of thing yeah i think that that plays a a big part into the 22 a day and yes yes, you've had the support the whole time that you were in but now that support is there all the time and you're learning to live together and there's a lot of things like not everyone has that supportive wife or supportive spouse that says, Hey, I know you went through some shit. I'm here when you're ready to talk about it. And I think that that plays a huge part, not into just what veterans can reach to on the outside, but what's at home that that causes the 22 a day. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've been so fortunate just to be in the situation I'm in that I I find myself being more apt to reach out to other veterans because I've seen, you know, people that don't feel like they have that support system. And I think it's really, really important to reach out to people and be like, Hey, just, I'm here, whatever it is you need, I'm here, you know, which is, I mean, which is the beautiful thing about what y'all are doing here. It's very awesome. Even just to have the opportunity to do a stupid story about a camel spider. And I'm a guy that's had the support, but it's really cool to get that off my chest in a forum like this, because a lot of people don't understand that, you know, it's a silly story, but it, it, it was a, I mean, it wasn't traumatic or anything, but what a weird thing to go through in life, you know? <laughs> it, it's so powerful. I found it's so powerful to have these conversations with other veterans that you don't have to explain what you did or who you did it with or what was happening because they already basically know, like they might not know exactly, but they have their own stories similar or parallel to what you did. And so it's, it's super empowering to have these conversations and let other veterans know that it's okay to have these conversations with each other. And like you said earlier, and I've said in, in more than one episode so far, like, VFW, the American Legion, these programs are such a huge resource that we are currently underutilizing. And I absolutely probably saved my life and my journey, like to get back on my feet when I fell, having the VFW and the people I met at the VFW because they became my family when I didn't have family support where I was at. Hey, cheers to the VFW. Cheers to the VFW and the Legion. Heck Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think I think people need to know, veterans need to know that just because maybe you're not a member of the VFW or the American Legion, if you're just lost and don't know where to turn and not sure who to talk to, you can go to those resources and say, look, I know I'm not a member, but I'm struggling. I need help. They're going to find help for you. They're going to help you. Well, you know, they're, they're there. They're not shut their door. No, absolutely not. So it, it's a it's a great resource, even if you're not, uh, you know, I know plenty of veterans that are like, ah, I don't want to be a part of that kind of thing you know, that don't want to join or whatever, that's fine. Don't join, but 
You know, if you if you don't yeah, know who else to need turn it, to, if you need somewhere local. If you need something local, if you just need somewhere to go in that moment, they're everywhere. And so that's one of the best resources we have. They're not complicated. You don't have to fill out a bunch of paperwork with the VA, like just to get seen. Like they're right there and they're available. And there's always someone that will will sit down and talk with you and listen to you. Absolutely. Uh, you know, if you don't mind, I'd like to bring something up. I was listening to the, uh, some of your other podcasts that you've done and you were, it was brought up that some people sometimes feel like, oh, I don't feel like a, maybe a legitimate veteran because I didn't deploy or I didn't earn these certain medals or whatever it is, whatever you're feeling. I, I, I mean, the, one of the first things I ever did was deploy, but even I feel that way sometimes because I never saw a legitimate combat. I never put a bullet down range um, or anything like that. And that's what I trained to do was be a combat medic, you know, to be in that shitty situation to be the guy. And it can be a tough thing, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are like, you see these movies and all these heroes and all that. I mean, that's not every veteran. No, you know, there's a lot of us that, no, it, it's definitely not. There's a lot of us that, hey, we did our job when we got out or maybe just something happened and you had to be pushed out or whatever it was. I, I'll be honest with you, in my situation, it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that I never made much rank. Again, I'm a I can be a little mally bastard sometimes, and uh, did lots of push-ups. So I, you know, sometimes I look at some of my peers that I was in with, and I'm like, man, that guy, he's a sergeant major now. And I was honestly, I was E4 ever, 100%. E4 ever, that was me. And sometimes it's hard to be like, ah, oh, why didn't I do better? Because I could have. I know the things I could have done, but it, sometimes you just have to take a step back and go, well, what were the good things? And I know in my situation, you know, I never, ever took it seriously as a career. So the fact that I put in as much time as I did, I'm like, you know, for me, it was all about the adventure. And I did do a lot of really crazy, insane things that, you know, 99% of the human population will never experience. So sometimes I just think people need to take a moment and step back and go, well, what were the good things? What were the positive things that came out of, of my time in the military? Even if I don't feel like you know, I'm not Chris Kyle or I'm not whatever it is, whoever, you know, whatever you've seen. Honestly, when we look at those guys, those are the 1% of the military anyways. <laughs> right. There's, there's so many that are part of the support system that fight mental battles alongside with those that are in like the 1% club or, you know, the, yeah. the combat seals or, whatever that puts them into that harm's way. Like they have a whole support team behind them that is fighting for them. And when something happens to them, it happens to us. And that's, right. that's a big part of what a lot of people don't realize because they're like, well, you weren't boots on the ground. And I'm like, but I supported boots on the ground. So like that takes a lot to come to terms to as well, because you're like, yeah, I wasn't boots on the ground, but like, I was the last person to talk to that person that I sent to be boots on the ground. Like exactly that can have just as much effect on you as if you were that person down there, like dodging bullets. And so like we've said before, everyone's story is their own story and everything that they go through is what they go through. And every single person in the military has a specific job to support another specific job. And it's a chain. And without that chain, we wouldn't be the greatest military in the world. Absolutely. That's the 100% Cheers. truth. Cheers to that. Cheers. If you had one piece of advice for anyone that has 
recently gotten out and is just starting their veteran journey or has been a veteran for a while and is trying to find their way, what would that be? So I, I think one of the things we talk about a lot is finding those resources and all that stuff, but there's something that's very near and dear to my heart. I mean, I just played the guitar a minute ago, but find an outlet. You, you are your biggest resource as a human being. It doesn't matter if you were military or not, you are your own biggest resource for everything. Find some sort of a creative outlet, whether it be sitting down and writing words on paper, learning an instrument, painting, drawing. There's a lot of things you can do. One of the biggest things I do for myself, because I think I'm creative and can do all these different things, but I like to sit down with pen and paper and write out what it is I'm feeling and thinking, or maybe write some stupid poem. And I can't write poetry, by the way, but I, I will write stuff down and then just getting it out makes me feel better. And I'll just wad it up and throw it away. Nobody ever has to look at that stuff. Nobody has to see it. But having that creative outlet a lot of times allows you to straighten it out in your own head before you learn to deal with it otherwise. Because, I mean, we need people to talk to, but if you're not sure how to express it to yourself, you're never going to be able to express it to somebody else. Absolutely. I know, like, I paint. Like, I'm, I paint. That's my – because it's something that's – they're rocks. So what I do is I paint them. I remember the rocks. Yeah, the rocks. Like, I'm known as – I'm known for that now and in the community too. And so it's helped me uh, establish relationships in the community that I wouldn't have otherwise established because I, I paint these rocks and then I put them out in the community and then people find them and then they, you know, they, they share them or they don't, but then, you know, you run into people in the community and they're like, Oh, you're the one painting rocks. And so that's been my outlet, but like no one really knows why I do it. And they literally have no idea how many I've painted. Like I have, boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of rocks that are in storage right now that I haven't like sent out on like, you know, they call them kindness rocks. I paint them and I donate them to the community is what happens. And people have absolutely no idea how many I actually have because I only send out a couple at a time, but sure, it's, it's helped me because it gives my brain something to focus on other than the demons. Just like, you know, you writing, writing out your thoughts helps you. And it's a, it's a small way to, to give yourself a little bit of discipline. If you just take the time to do something, you, even if it's something you never share with anybody else, right. You know, it, it, it really helps you organize your own thoughts and then you can, you can grow from there. I mean, I, and that's really what it's about because we, there's a lot of people I just don't don't deal with things. Don't deal with the thoughts in their own head. And and I find that having and I have multiple creative outlets. Fortunately, that's just the way I grew up. My both of my parents are very artsy and goofy. So it, it comes to it comes easy to me. But I think I think a lot of people are scared to even try something like that. It's just about sitting down and doing it and don't worry about making it pretty or sharing it with somebody. It's for you. Yeah. It doesn't you even know. have to be good. Nope. Exactly. It's just something for me to like redirect my energy to. So when I'm having a bad day or I'm having a episode or whatever you want to call it, it just gives me something to direct my energy to. Heck yeah. So if you wanted to be contacted, which I hope, I hope you do, but if someone wanted to contact you and talk to you further, or if they have questions about your journey, or if they just need someone to communicate with, where can our listeners find you? Uh, mostly I'm on Facebook. If you're looking, it's just Eric Weaver and it's the bald guy with a beard in the picture. I'm probably holding a guitar in it. 
I think I've got Instagram somewhere, but I don't really use it for much. So definitely look me up on Facebook, uh, or if you're just not sure how to do that, if anybody emails y'all here at the podcast, Amanda, you've got my information. You can send my number along or my email address. I'll talk to anybody about anything. I mean, you know, me and you spend hours together talking about the dumbest shit. <laughs> so for yeah. that don't know, Eric and I used to work together on the railroad. And we were partnered to be on the same train and we worked together for it. It was a long time, huh? Was it? Yeah, it was several cycles. Yeah. We spent a lot of time, just the two of us. And we would just tell stories and we would talk about our time in the military and we would do like all these crazy things that we probably shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> yep. Probably would have got us fired from the railroad, but you know, the military made us good at that. <laughs> It helped a lot of days and I don't know if it helped a lot of days for you, but it helped a lot of days for me just to have someone to talk to that already knew my story. And so if, if, Absolutely. I, was, if I was having a weird day, like, like he picked up on it and vice versa and we could kind of be each other's, you guys call them battle buddies. We call them Liberty buddies, but you know, we, we had a good time working together for sure. And our other coworkers didn't understand like, where our connection came from. And that's yeah, that's true. Uh, and, you know, working for the rebel as it is, and then you stack on top of that, you know, the weird hours we worked and all the weird stuff we had to do. It was, it, I found it to be not only helpful to know you as a fellow veteran, but just the fact that we had kind of this shared background made being at the railroad better. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, did. It, was, it was so much, it was so much fun. Gosh. Yeah. I, I'm glad. I'm pretty glad we worked late nights because we definitely would have gotten in trouble for some of the stuff we were doing oh, out there. Goofing yeah. Well, and late nights would get scary. And so it was nice too, to know that I was out there with someone that, that I could trust. Yeah. yeah I think that's, uh, you know, whew, that's, that's a, again, something I struggle with as a guy, you know, I'm a, I'm a man and I was in the army and you know, it's, it's nice to have somebody to lean on once in a while, even just, I just somebody that knows, I don't know. I think there's a lot of guys that try to put up that, that tough exterior, but it, it's nice to, to be able to break down and I mean, I don't think I ever cried out there, but it's nice to be able to have a tender conversation or, or something, you know, with somebody. Right. Or vice versa. Like I knew I could just, give you the look and you would like, I got it. <laughs> or, or vice versa. Like, like I'm oh, handling yeah. this, can you help me out? And it just would take a look and we'd, we'd be able to, to handle any situation. Like we, we rarely had issues when we were out there on the train. We are riders. Cause we were, we were in public transportation. Our riders knew that we were both veterans. So they felt safer riding the train later at night because they knew a little bit about our story. For those of you that don't know, we both worked, public transportation in urban cities and so with the craziness in the last couple of years like some nights it would get scary or you would be out there at midnight on the last run and it would be you and your coworker and the three people that had taken drugs that you don't know what they were but you definitely knew that they yep. were on them and so those people are unpredictable and so you had to like use your military skills to kind of simmer down a lot of situations where people would be like, why don't you guys ever have any issues out there? And we're like, well, because we used our skills from the military to control a situation as opposed to making it worse. And so that was kind of, that was cool. That was a cool part about working with you is that we did have that ability to kind of like 
disperse the situation as opposed to making it worse. Yeah, I, I think it was it was good to have the experiences we had and work on that crazy schedule. And like you said, some I mean, anybody that's ever even used public transportation in an inner city, you know that sometimes the 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 people that you you have to interact with can be. Well, and Amber worked downtown Dallas for a while, too, as the safety patrol. She was one of those peoples on the bike. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. she got to see some of that that late night craziness, too. Yes, I did, because I actually worked 410s, and I worked a second shift. So I worked until 11 o'clock. And, uh, but I didn't have, I had the people I worked with. I didn't have veterans working with me or people who were in the military with me. I had my own experience to, to go off of and, and my degree to use when having to, to deescalate or talk to, to the people out there. Yeah. But it's amazing how those skills come full circle and you don't even realize that you have them until you do. And then, right. Sure. Absolutely. And then you Absolutely. have your, your management staff looking at you like, why don't you guys have incident reports and why don't you guys have issues and you're working these same crazy shifts as these other train crews and they're not having these issues or, and they're having all kinds of issues and they're putting in write-ups every night and they're calling the cops every day. And Eric and I are like, I don't know, like handle it. We're just working, but yeah, no, it was a, it was a great time and I'm glad that I got to work with him and I'm glad that, that I got to know you on the level that we got to know each other. And that even though neither one of us worked there, we're still pretty close in contact. So uh, that's been great. Uh, so once again, if you guys want to talk to Eric, he's on Facebook. If you don't have Facebook and you'd like to talk to him personally, you can contact us and we will put you in contact with him. We will pass on his personal information, his his cell phone or email to be able to contact him. Amber, do you want to talk a little bit about why we're doing this podcast and the charity that we're supporting on this episode? Sure. So um, the main reason and our main focus for this podcast is to bring awareness to mental health that veterans um, deal with and 22 a day and the fact that 22 veterans kill themselves every day and that is a huge number that should not even exist. Um, especially with all of the different avenues and outlets that are available, whether you know about them or not. The main support that we are focusing our energy on is the Till Valhalla Project. Um, I wear their bracelet. Any donations that we ever do receive in support of the Till Valhalla Project will go directly to them. Um, We'll write out a check and send it into them. Um, to show them that we support their mission in the 22 a day. So if you would like to contact Amber or I, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Veterans Drinking Vodka. Or you can send us an email to veteransdrinkingvodka at gmail.com. I check those emails every day. So if you'd like to contact us directly, that's going to be your best resource. Please reach out if you would like to tell your story and be a guest on our podcast. And like Amanda said, you can send us an email or a direct message on any of those um, platforms. If you like our podcast, subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, or Amazon. Also, if you enjoyed what we did today, or even if you didn't, leave us a review and let us know what you think. We want to be the best that we can for you.
Yeah, we and we really do. 20, 22 veterans killing themselves every day is 22 too many. One is too many. And you are never alone. You are never alone. On that note, it looks like Eric wants to play us another song. Oh, I don't know if I want to play us another song, but I was just going to strum some chords while y'all were talking. Oh, okay. So, 22 veterans a day is 22 too many. One is too many. You are never alone. Veterans drinking vodka. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Thank y'all for having me. And y'all are doing an amazing thing here. Just like y'all said, if anybody wanted to reach out to me, I'm a very non-judgmental son of a bitch. And you can talk to me about anything. I would be happy to talk to you or just listen. Thank you. Thank you, Eric.